All right, guys, I hope you guys are all having a great day today. And here is chapter three of my novel, The Regulator. Callan. It's midnight. I know because the alarm clock next to me blinks a neon green 12 o'clock a.m. sharp. The wind is blowing gently outdoors, and the notes I tried to take yesterday for engineering are still open on the desk, the pages of the textbook rustling. Somewhere in the distance, an owl or bird of prey calls out a warning. A storm is coming. I can feel it. I have five days until my own visit with the nurse that will determine if I can even get my hands on a refill. I've been going through pills pretty fast, but my head splits. It aches. It hurts so badly that even laying there seems to be killing me. I don't know what causes the headaches. I've always been prone to them. This particular episode has me nauseated and undone from the inside out. I can't handle the pressure and the pain, so I stand up and slip on a pair of socks. I pad my way down the stairs and into the kitchen, where I head to the sink for a glass of water. I down the water, wincing as I nearly dry heave, and I'm about to go back upstairs when something catches my eye. There's a light on in Dad's office, the one that he uses to complete paperwork and exams so he can keep being a scribe or whatever it is that he actually does. The light is coming from his computer. He must have forgotten to shut it. I tiptoe into the tiny space, hoping I'll do him a service and close it for him, but I don't get there in time. Because in the corner, I see a black gym bag, the top open to reveal its contents. With a glance inside, I realize it's holding the overflow medication, the delivery for patients tomorrow and next week, patients that are given access to refills. My hands find the pill bottles and I read their labels. Marcus Hansen, Preneline, Harriet Adams, Oxytocin, Nicole Reddy, Olfine. My hands fly toward Nicole's prescription bottle. I think about how many times I've been rejected for a refill. Suddenly, the pain in my head has threatened to kill me again. It wraps around my temples and grabs at the front of my skull, tearing me apart and bringing tears to my eyes. I look behind me. Nobody's up. No one even knows I'm in here. My fingers work to unscrew Nicole's bottle, and when the cap finally budges, I stick my pointer finger in and fish out a single pill. Place it under my tongue and screw the lid back on. She won't notice, will she? I guess I did when mine nearly ran out. I stuff the bottles back into the gym bag and force it into the position I found it. I head back into the kitchen and fill the glass from the sink up again. Take a swig of water and swallow. The headache should vanish in a few short minutes. I place the glass back into the sink and trudge up the stairs, feeling a bit guilty but relieved. It strikes me that Dad will know I ran out. If I suddenly look fine like I'm not in pain, will he know I've stolen medication? Or am I being paranoid? I push the ugly thoughts away and climb into bed. I finally fall asleep. In the morning, I realize that while I have a mild ache in the base of my neck, I feel oddly comfortable. The pain overall has subsided. I pass Gia on the way to the shower, noticing that she's done something new with her hair, as if trying to model herself after Layla. I hope she knows she'll get chosen to become free of any diseases. Speaking of, if it's really possible, why not cure every one of their diseases? This society is wacky. When Dad leaves to deliver medication and Gia goes with Mom to visit Grandma, I head back into his office. Sitting on the bookshelf in the corner is his old biochemistry and virology textbook. I grab it out of curiosity. I'm learning about protein, and it's actually quite fascinating when I realize the computer is still open from last night. I wonder why Dad left it here. Though I hesitate, I hover my finger just above the mouse and it blossoms to life. I'm expecting a type in your passcode message, but there is none. I'm taken right to Dad's files, like he wanted me to find them. I click the first one, called Beacon Point Health Stats. It's just case after case of fever after flu, and I get bored after making it through the letter A in last names. 
I click on another file and another. I reach one entitled Beacon Point Viral Outbreak. Reading through it and examining the uploaded microscope images, it becomes evident there's a genuine threat to our population. Nothing like hemorrhagic fever, but it's spreading through livestock and logging vomiting, nausea, and syncope into everyone's medical ID. I close all evidence that I was snooping and get the hell out of there. Why not treat this virus? What does it mean if our medical IDs reach a certain number of sicknesses? I long for the day when someone's brave enough to sneak into the center and actually look up their own ID, scan their chip and find out how many days they'll live, what they're predisposed to, and how many children they're allowed to have. When Gia arrives home, I ask her a lingering question. We're sitting on the front porch with lemonade. I have a chocolate chip cookie, but she's allergic, so she's eating carrot sticks, minus the dip. Gia's obsessed with perfection. So what happens if you already have a kid and then you have twins? A woman can't help that. She glances at me and shrugs. Survival of the fittest. Did evolution unit and sophomore biology teach you nothing? She finally replies. Natural selection? Well, man-made selection. Explain that. Callan, they kill you. If you're a twin, they pick between you and your other half. Whichever is the least healthy is killed. She blinks hard. Touchy subject? I just don't like to think about it. It's one of the only parts of the society that seems a bit shady. Seriously? I laugh. One of the only parts? Callan? She shoots me a frown. I don't like having this conversation. But you're having it, I challenge. So I figured out that the red vial treats viruses. A monkey could figure that out. She's not letting me have my moment. Yeah, so? The pink and blue aren't based on gender. Says who? A friend. A credible source, I smirk. Yes. Well, what does this friend tell you? Pink isn't just for girls. It's reproduction-based. Stuff involving pregnancy and sex. Lovely, I reply, but I figured. I have my own sources of information. What about the blue? I'm not sure, but some guys have never tasted blue. You're not supposed to know what other people drink, I scold her. Who is this friend anyway? None of your business, Gia downs the last sip of her lemonade and stands up. None of your business at all. I just shake my head. She has no idea. In Beacon Point, everything is everyone's business. Chapter 2, Gia Grandma, I pull the curtain near her bed away so I can see her fully. Yes, darling. She looks healthy, recovered almost, like her frailty, her reason for being here in the first place, has dis disappeared entirely. You look good. I feel good, she smiles. They finally refilled the dosage on the medication that helps my arthritis. Rex says something, I wouldn't remember. My stomach coils a bit, thinking that they didn't take the time to refill it sooner, but I guess there is a limited supply of medicine to go around. Do you get out soon, I ask her. Well, I walked up and down the halls. Grandma leans over and takes her water from the table. I'm sitting up now. Everything in me wants nothing more than to get the hell out. I laugh a little. Have they treated you well? Oh, you know how it is. She rolls her blue eyes. Those damn medical assistants rush in every five seconds and ask if I'm still breathing. Here I am. I'm alive. Now leave me alone. I'm just glad you're feeling better, I grin. Me too. Me too. She reaches out to hug me. Bye, Grandma. I love you. I kiss her forehead. Bye, sweetheart, she calls after me, and I leave the facility. I'm walking to the bus stop when a familiar voice calls out after me. Gia! Gia, wait up! I turn. It's Bobby. Gosh, she looks different. They've changed her hair to look curly and model-like, and it flows down and over her back. Her cheekbones stand out, and the fullness of her face has vanished completely. In fact, if not for her bright blue eyes, I would not have recognized her. Hey, Bobby, I reply. 
Did you hear? She shouts. It's all over the media. I shake my head. If something happened, why didn't the TV show it at the elderly care facility? They killed Ashley. Am I supposed to know who that is? I question. The girl with the colorful hair? Like a rainbow? Bobby tries to jog my memory. Ah, rainbow. They killed her? Yeah, the nurse took her to see the regulator because she wasn't complying with anything. She'd missed countless appointments. She wouldn't undergo the treatments. She fought the whole system. Bobby sounds panicked. How? What? How did they kill her? Lethal injection, Bobby announces. Gosh, Gia, how have you not heard? Theo let us all know. We stopped in the bar for some burgers. A few of us did. Oh, I breathe out a sigh. That's rough. It's so unfair. No, it's not, I find myself arguing. She messed up. She broke the rules. She probably deserved it. I don't know if I can agree with that, Bobby says blatantly. We all mess up. Perfection is a lie. Then why were you there the other day? I look at her. Why go through with this? I blend in, she states. You should meet my brother, I mutter. What? You should meet my brother, Callan. The blonde? How would you know? He always has his appointments before me. The kid seems miserable whenever he goes in there. Not that I blame him, she lets out this little laugh. He's not bad looking, though. Give me a break, I scoff. And seriously, don't act like perfection isn't achievable. It totally is. I'm religious, Bobby tugs at the silver cross around her neck. I believe that the human race can't be perfect, or there would be no need for a higher power. You mean God? Yeah, she shrugs. My eyes narrow a bit. The regulator is the only higher power we submit to, I let her know. Suit yourself, Bobby smiles pitifully, but I believe otherwise. Then she's gone. I hop on the bus and go home in a daze. When I arrive to the driveway, Dad is waiting for me. My favorite patient, he holds out his arms. I give him a hug and step back to hear what he has to say. How would you like to shadow me when I visit the regulator, he asks. I swallow hard. You've met him? Once or twice, he admits. You could come. It'd be good experience. I don't know, Dad. It's a high favor. Come on, Gia, he instructs. It would do you well with your studies. I nod stiffly and walk inside, Dad trailing behind me. We wouldn't go until October. Why not? They need me to work in the virus clinic. They're freezing viruses as we speak. Level 4 biological hazards, he informs me. Is there an outbreak? Uh, nothing serious. Dad moves across the foyer rug and stretches, arms high in the air. Just some bug passed around by saliva. My mind drifts aimlessly back to Theo. I wonder what he's doing. I feel my hand slip into the main pocket of my sweatshirt to grab my cell phone. I send him a text. Are you busy? His reply comes oddly fast. Nope. My fingers rush to reply, flying across the keyboard as if every breath depends on him. Can I come over? Of course he says yes, so I grab my coat and tell mom and dad I'm off to see grandma again. I thought you just went, darling. Mom glances at me with suspicion. Well, yeah, I bite my lower lip, but I found some old photos of us. Can I see them, she asks. I act like I'm going to pull them out of my pocket, then I jump back. Crap, they're still upstairs. I run up and grab what photos I can find and show them to mom. Wow, she tears up at dad's mom a few years back, and I almost feel bad for lying. I steal out of there as fast as I can, my feet hitting the pavement of the sidewalk and carrying me down the driveway into the bus stop. My breathing comes in heavy gasps. I can't get there fast enough. There's an old man coughing in the back of the bus and a baby screaming bloody murder. Seems they both ran out of their medications. I hop off the bus on the corner of Main and 47th. Then I sprint for Theo's house, my feet pounding. The door flies open when I reach the porch and he pulls me in. I missed you. I look up at him. His cheekbones, dark hair, his deep brown eyes, the way he seems perfect. I think of how Bobby argued that perfection existed. Who was she to comment? Besides, Bobby was almost perfect too, inside and out. 
Board games? Theo asks. Nah, I shake my head and reach over to grab his jacket that's lying on the chair. I was thinking you could steal me a drink. Are you 18? We've talked about this. I'm 17. Ah, Theo replies. I suppose I could figure something out. So we go to the bar, and I order a hamburger, and Theo sneaks me one of those low-cal alcohol drinks, and I stir it around with a thin black coffee straw. The second I finish my food, he's grabbing my hand, and I find myself in the same alley that I met him in on the first day of treatment. Speaking of, there's another session coming up. Leo, Theo leans in, and for a second, he's all I see. Alright guys, sorry for the name mess up at the end of that chapter, um, but we will go ahead and read chapter 4 next time. So keep in tune and we'll see what happens with Theo and what happens with Callan. Mm-hmm.